The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner-creator of FSW, the Future Stars Wrestling, here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, how you doing? Uh, tremendous. Getting ready for the uh, the big run this month, three shows. So, uh, what uh, is more exhausting, uh, getting ready for Christmas or doing the three shows in one month? Dang, I ain't got shit to do for Christmas. Kid's twenty seven years old; he can buy his own gift. <laughs> he still hasn't. He barely buys me shit. So you know. It's supposed to be the opposite now. You and you know he's in his twenties. He's supposed to be buying presents for for me and his mom. Oh, NFTs do that? They, they count, right? Yeah, because you know they're worth two cents. So uh, we need oh, to yeah, start. I forgot, I forgot about my uh, my NFT investment with the kid. <laughs> we got to start you making uh, Joe DeFalco NFTs, man. To, you know. Had to turn 300 into zero in no time. Um, with the uh, the future shot coming up on uh, this Saturday, the 3rd, what uh, can we expect? I know there's been a few now, uh, announced matches. And uh, is there anything else uh, new to add? Uh, yeah, I just actually posted on the student page. So... Uh... The idea, obviously, is to get the younger talent on the show as much as possible. So, you know, we we announced Andy Delgado and and Bugatti. Uh, Ricky Tenacious is going to wrestle Oliver Kennedy. Uh, We got a triple threat women's match uh, that will have Alice Blair, Tanaya, and uh, a new talent out of Knox Pro, Jay Raj, came down to the show, introduced herself, and oh man, heard uh, uh, big sneeze. Heard you know nothing but positive things about her. She's still very young in the business from uh, Toa when you know she was at Against All Odds. So we're gonna give her a shot in the triple threat. Uh, Working on a four-way with Bodie, Chase Bell, and uh, Davion. And trying to figure out a fourth participant. We might do a pre-show match. Uh, also, uh, Vandergriff is going to wrestle Watson. And okay. Fresco is going to wrestle uh, Demir Morningstar. So. Right. Nice. Um, Damian Drake, does he have uh, anything on the show? Oh, yes. Uh, Damian Drake will actually uh, exciting match uh, Primo Henio. So that should be uh, one of the better matches on the show. Yeah. 
uh overall when you look at this card and you're looking at then the high octane two weeks later um is there anything from this that might carry into high octane because i know one of the matches that we didn't say is um breath of threat versus uh jimmy jack right okay well i thought we already announced that last week so you, oh, anything, you said anything new yeah. so you know i was even though i mentioned bugatti and andy we we kind of had that match uh for some reason i thought the regulators were on this show but it's the 17th so the tag match we were trying to figure out and what was probably going to be the regulators and suavecitos so now I got to step back, you know, see what we got available. And, you know, the, the question becomes, you know, what is the pre-show match? Obviously, the main event's going to be Matt Vandergriff and, and Watson. So right. that's about all we know, you know, in those positionings. So we're trying to get the younger talent on there. Nick Xander's available and there's probably some more available. You know, might even go out of the box and, and put a member of Sky High in the four-way match being, you know, Bodie's involved. So, you know, might be something to kind of keep things, you know, where that even though storyline's not really a major factor in putting right. together Future Shock, it's still good to have people that have worked together. So this is, this is where... Uh... Robbie Litt turns on Bodie. Is that what we're getting? You, you never know what could happen. And then uh, Mondo Rocks is undecided. You know, the, you know the assistant pilot, the co-pilot of the of the group. So he he could be torn. You know, it, it definitely could be something down the line because, you know. Oh, he's getting a little big mouth for a 15-year-old kid. You know what I'm saying? So I know there's a few of those guys back there that want to slap him. It's like, listen, I got to I gotta listen to this 15-year-old. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, when you look at uh, Matt Vandergriff, uh, you know, having just put out a performance that really was a uh, an MVP showing of – you know, three matches in a night. Um, what is it that you look forward to seeing Matt try to accomplish going into the new year uh, since, you know, he's had the title this year a couple times and, uh, you know, his counterpart in a lot of those matches early on the year was Jay Vidal and Jay just signed his contract with Impact Wrestling. So, uh, where do you see uh, Matt going, and is that uh, a little bit of a, a competitive drive now to uh, to try to find himself uh, a place to uh, go and, and make some of the uh, the bigger bucks, uh, you know, as opposed to the DeFalco dollars that he gets right now? The, ex the exposure bucks, yeah. <laughs> you know those those exposure bucks worked out pretty well for Cross. Uh, Chris Bay, you know, uh, Zoe Stark and Solo Sokoa and, and obviously, you know, Jay Vidal. You know, it's funny, uh, Jay Vidal's story. So he sends me a picture. And it's a good picture, but the background's kind of weird because it has the ring. There's a ring behind it, and it's like kind of red, white, and blue or whatever. And I'm like, 
Uh, bro, I'm not sure if we can really use this as a promo picture. I like it, but it might be hard to get the background out. He goes, oh, no, that's not for the promo pic. That's for the uh, the one that's going to go up on the wall. <laughs> and it's like, you know. And he had mentioned to me about the impact stuff. So I, I kind of knew about it, right. but I didn't realize he was so forthcoming. Like, you know, obviously it, it's a big moment that, right. you know, he's he's made it. And he wants to make sure that, you know, he's got the, the right picture because, you know, Jay's Jay's Jay. So he's, he's got to make sure it's the, the perfect picture that goes up there. You know, he wants to outshine uh, the Chris Bay carrying cross or, you know, probably Zoe more than anything else. Later right. On. right. But yeah, so uh, Jay's very excited, you know, in his role. You know, I was shocked to learn they go the first openly gay wrestler. I'm like, oh, wow, Jay Vidal's gay. I was totally unaware of this. So, wow, I might have booked him different. Who knows? <laughs> well, is it is there a difference uh, nowadays that you find between that idea of, I mean, Jay is a wrestler who happens to be gay, whereas in the past, wrestling had a lot of gay characters, uh, whether or not the person was gay or not. Um, is that something that you're seeing kind of, and I guess not only along the lines of uh, LGBTQ, but also just in general, some of the former stereotypes now, is it almost something where guys are having a harder time, um, you know, staying away from that kind of stuff because of the easy, you know, cheap heat um, that you used to be able to get with characters that were, you know, fairly politically incorrect. And the, you know, the, the climate that we're in today, where if you say something um, that could come back to haunt you, even if it is a character in a promo. Well, I'll be honest. Uh, when, Jay Vidal, this is before that he was in a tag team with the Bad Bitches. He came back. I sat him down about that particular issue. And I was like, you know, everybody knows. No, no, nobody was like, oh, I wonder if he's gay. Or... Right. Jay was very open about it. Right. I said, but it's very important to stand out as a wrestler, not to stand out as a wrestler who's gay it's like because then you can get pigeonholed into a certain role to where sometimes you can't escape that to get to the main event and i always saw which again didn't age well uh that jake atlas he just happened to be a wrestler who was gay but that wasn't what kind of got him notoriety but it did down the line when he did sign with WWE. And, and, and things didn't work out for whatever reason and whatever issues that were going on. But when I booked Jake Atlas, I wasn't like, hey, I need to put a gay guy on my show. It was, hey, I got a good no limits match. Who's the guy who can work in there? And Jake Atlas is a guy. Right. And it was the same thing with Jay Vidal. And Parada who I ended up putting them together. Everybody liked Parada. Parada 
was a character who was very openly gay, and that was the strength of his character, not his wrestling. While I felt Jay was the better wrestler of the two, you know, we all knew that. But the character that Parada played was very over the top, but he was very engaging and he was very popular. So putting them together, it kind of brought Jay down a little because Parada, he was the guy in that position. So I wanted Jay to excel as a wrestler who happened to be gay. It, you know, it didn't matter. It's like he could be put in any situation. And in the past, you've seen it where they take the stereotypes. And, you know, it's similar to Impact. It's like, okay, he signed an Impact, a social media guy, but he's portraying that character. And I hope that they give him the chance to break out because he's far more than just that character. He's a fantastic wrestler. So... You know, let's get that fact over, you know, but the bottom line is getting signed because we see how difficult and long a process is. You know, they looked at Bay for a long time before they finally pulled the trigger. And Jay was on the show last year at Impact where, hey, we like this guy. And then it it took a while to be like, okay, well, yeah, let's use him again. Okay, that's cool. Uh, What do we got for him? Well, nothing right now. And I guess, you know, Corbin leaving was probably the best thing that happened to him because he kind of slid in into that role. And it's about the role. And and that's the role they need. So his character is very important in the role he's playing. But hopefully down the line, he breaks out as a true wrestling superstar and and not just a lackey, a, a second to Giselle Shaw's character. Right. Because right now that's what he's brought in. He's brought in to make her character a bigger deal. And right. hopefully, you know, down the line, they see, you know, what a great signing they made because he can be someone that we've seen him wrestle Trey Miguel. Like he could he could dominate in that no limits division if you give him the opportunity. So, you know, it's getting that foot in the door. It may not always be what you're looking for. You know, they probably sat him down. Hey, you know what? This is what we're looking for. You know, right now you're going to be a secondary character on our show. And hopefully, you know, it was funny. I was just on Yahoo, whatever. And I'm reading about storylines in TV shows that got axed and, some people who were supposed to get killed weren't because the fans liked the character. And all of a sudden he became, or she became a bigger character on the show because when they were doing their testings, they saw that this character was very popular and hopefully, you know, Jay is that guy. Uh, that's an interesting point too. How much do you think nowadays, uh, that the companies look at segment ratings in terms of maybe pulling, you know, the trigger on someone who, you know, isn't a smaller role, but if their audience seems to be tuning in more so to see, you know, some of these smaller characters and they get the, the bigger ratings, 
do you think that they're still looking at that and kind of um, using that to try to put more of that character on TV? Is that still a big factor in uh, pro wrestling's, um, you know, trying to make guys uh, keep your ratings up and make guys elevate it by using the um, the data from television or is it different because of streaming now? Everything's important, you know, that, that there's so many good wrestlers that you have to stand out in some way. And however that way is, you know, why did MJF get a bigger run in AEW? Well, when, when they pulled the sheets, it seemed like more people would stay around or more people would watch because it was an MJF segment. And then maybe this other person that they built in a big situation didn't seem, always seem to have a drop. And sometimes it's not always their fault, but all they can look at is numbers. And if yeah. the numbers show something positive, then you're hoping they run with it. I always complain in WWE about uh, Baron Corbin. Like, Here's a guy who's gotten four, five, six, seven different changes, but for some reason they continue to give it to him despite him failing in those. While there are right. certain other guys who seem to succeed, but they pull the rug from under them and then all of a sudden they disappear for a while. So, yeah. you know, you have to be well liked. So maybe Corbin's love backstage and they want to see this guy succeed. Now they stick him with JBL, where. It doesn't seem to be clicking anyway because he has been beaten down so bad. It's hard to just now perceive him as something special. Yeah. Right. And I mean, even going as far as giving uh, Corbin the win over Kurt Angle in, in Angle's last match in WWE, um, that seemed like that was a move to try to solidify him and it didn't stick uh is that something that you look at yourself when you're putting together your cards you're looking at talent um you know are there guys that you are willing to give more opportunity or chances to just based on the history even though they might not you know have necessarily been over um how, how does that work for you when you see that idea of and, and how many chances can a guy get to find that right character? Well, you know, we've seen things and here, here's an example, Damian Drake, Damian Drake has gotten over, but Damian Drake has also changed up things. You know, he had his biggest run as the unguided. Then he did something different. And then maybe he wasn't feeling it. Now he's kind of that 80s guy. And the crowd really likes him. And do they like him because he's the 80s guy? Or they like him because he's Damian Drake. And they're getting behind him. You know, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. So you have to go out there and be you. Is Remy Marcel the whirlwind gentleman? Or is Remy Marcel the 86er? Well, he played both roles extremely well. And what does that mean? Well, it means he could be put anywhere because he's believable in that. 
I'm not sure who I talked to. It was either Disco or Sean Davari. And I think it was Disco. And, like, he would have never thought of Remy Marcel as a tough guy. But he buys the 86 character. And the Remy Marcel that we see now, Disco Inferno believes, hey, you know what? This is a really good character. And he buys into everything that he does. And that's all you can ask to do. You, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you got to go out there and be true to yourself. And everybody's always lacking something. You know, Matt Vandergriff, we always said not, not the best on the mic, fantastic wrestler. And he also had like no persona. The unguided kind of opened things up for him. And then after that, he created his own self. The aerial chemist. Never yeah. heard of that. He wasn't taking somebody else's name. It, it fits him perfectly. Yeah. And that's what happens on the journey. You know, whether it's Jay Vidal being Jaden Ridden, the EDM kid, who the character is the shits. But you have to go through that because you're still finding yourself. And that's the most difficult thing in professional wrestling is finding yourself, right. you know, you could, you could argue all day. Well, no, Matt Vandegrift is better than Jay Vidal. Jay Vidal is better than Matt Vandegrift. Oh, there's Damian Drake. There's Nick Xander. There's Remy Marcel. Who's better than who? Everybody right. is similar. And then it's the personality traits and the other things that are the cherry on the top. You know, you can go out there and say, Hey, you know what? Hey, that, that that young kid, Davion, you know, he had a really good match with Funny Bone. Hey, he had a really good match with this guy. But he's still feeling his character. He's 18 years old. You know, yeah. Bodie. Well, in five years, Bodie's not going to be the 15-year-old little kid anymore. So he's going to have to find a persona as a grown-up to differentiate himself. Because now yeah. the comparisons are there aren't many. Hey, Hey, he's the new Nick Wayne because Nick Wayne was the 16-year-old prodigy. I, Joe, I, you just came up with the character, and that is what every child star goes through, and that is <laughs> he's the washed-up, he's the washed-up prodigy. What do you I, mean, Ralphie I, just got a job 30 years later in a new Christmas story at HBO Max? That guy has been sitting by the phone for 30 years. Like somebody, please. I know I'm a, a dorky-looking adult, but I was a cute kid. Can I get something out of this? And thank goodness for streaming services because there's sequels and remakes of everything where it's like, ah, what's that Ralphie guy doing? Oh, I think he's a cashier over at Walmart. Hey, give him a call. See if he'll work cheap to make a movie. And if he's like, fucking A, yeah. Look at the guy from the Cosby show. He was at Trader Joe's. Right. <laughs> right. He went from Trader Joe's to be back on TV all the time. Because we're like, oh, look at this guy. And he had the perfect response. I got to make a fucking living. What do you want me to do? Like, he, he wasn't a character on Cosby where he's getting checks for 10 grand a month. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you, you have to make a living. You have to pay your bills. And, you know, knock on wood. Good, good for Ralph for getting a gig. Like, I'm like, that's Ralphie? And again, I was never a big, you know, uh, Christmas story, but it was like Macaulay Culkin, you know. He, sure. 
a lot of those guys go on to, you know, drugs, alcohol, uh, premature death because the superstars they were at nine, they're husbands by the time they're 16. Yeah. And it's like, what do you do? You know, you, you got to get a job. And whatever that job is, that job is. You know, the same thing in wrestling. A lot of guys, they're bigger, they'll get a job as a bouncer. Right. You know, Disco works at a strip club. But he's made his money, you know. But he has to move on, you know, things end. Right. So, you know, so you got you you got to get that window. And for wrestlers, the window is, is expanded. You know, yeah. mid-30s, you were kind of done. Now you're 45 and you're a main event guy. You're 40 years old and, oh, you know, that up and coming talent. It's like, dude, he's 41. But, you know, look at look at our guys who, who, who've who gone on. It's like, wow, you know, Ricker, I think he was, you know, L.A. Knight, 38, 39 years old, finally yeah. made it to the, the pinnacle of yeah. WWE. Brian Cage, how long was he around? Mid-30s. Ryan Taylor, mid-30s. All these yeah. guys, mid to late thirties, were real are really getting their shine. You know, Jacob Austin Young, Gregory Sharp, they've been with us for twelve years. To yeah. now, finally, you know, Jacob Austin Young is he better now than he was seven years ago? Yeah, I, I guess because he's had the experience, but he wasn't so much better now than he was then. Same thing right. with Sharp, traveled the world, but somehow the eyes got on him and. In the past, they'd be like, yeah, you know what? He's good and all, but he's 36. Matt Vandegrift's 24. Yeah. So it would yeah. be one or the other. Thankfully, now it's both of them. Right. Hey, we'll take Chris Bay. But we'll also take Tito Escondido, who hadn't, who's been around for, for 15 years, or Ryan Taylor and these guys that are working New Japan Strong. And now they'll grab a Gregory Sharp and not worry about age. But then they'll grab a Chris Bay because he's 25 and he's doing things. So well, Ken Kenny King's a great example because Kenny King never wrestled for New Japan. And now at you know, at his uh I don't want to say advanced age, but you well, know, you know he, he is 53, so you know he is up there. So <laughs> but it's just amazing that you know he just got that opportunity now. And that's yeah, something he's established. Which, you know, again, you talk about stereotypes. Well, age was a stereotype big time in yeah. professional wrestling. You know, perfect example was the boogeyman, new Booker T, got him in on the thing. And even Booker T was basically, you need to lie about your age. Yeah. Because they're not going to want you because you're already 38 or 39 years old. Yeah. Yet, I saw that dude six months ago at a show. And who would believe he's in his mid-50s? Right. You know, he's in better shape than 95% of the roster. Yeah. But he had a lie, and he was told a lie by a WWE Hall of Famer. And he <laughs> got on Tough Enough, and they got rid of him because they found out how old he was. But right. he still ended up making it. And yeah. he had a nice little run. Because yeah. they even say it now. Hey, you know, send in your resume. But if you're over this age, we don't really want you. If you're under this height, we don't really want you. Right. And it's like, well, imagine if they told Rey Mysterio that. The the greatest luchador in the history of the business. Yeah. Would have never gotten out of Mexico. 
if, if Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff, and uh, you know, by the time he was in WWE, he was already established superstar. Right. But right. Paul Heyman took a shot on a guy who's no more than five foot four. Yeah. And then he really got the the bump when when Bischoff brought in all the luchadors, uh, not only from Mexico but even even through the United States. So you know there is a place for everybody in the business if they are good enough. Now and it, and it isn't just being good enough. You have to be in the right place at the right time because you have to make sure somebody who's important sees you. So yeah. Yeah. you know. For a while, Regal would go to PWG, and that was when WWE was doing the run of using the best indie guys right. and the Adam Coles and the O'Reillys and and that group that came in, you know, the undisputed era. You know, right. that 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 was a different era era in WWE because they wanted NXT to kind of rival what AEW was doing. So they were bringing they were rating they were raiding the rock vault of Ring of Honor and, yeah. and anybody who had name value. And that's when they went back to, you know what? You're not going to be Arnold Cross or Arnold uh, whatever. You're going to be Adam Cole. You're going to be Bobby Fish. You're going to be Kyle O'Reilly. Everybody got to use their names, which now right. they've switched again to now everybody gets to use their names. And before that, they didn't like, you know, Cross, Keith Lee, you know, they were the last batch of those guys who, when they came in, that they were their names. Right. Now it's well, like, we don't care how good well, you are. You're going to have a name change. We, we do have to state that uh, Cross did just get a little bit of that name change. Well, he was still Cross. Okay. Yeah, but Carrion? They couldn't call him Killer. Right. Can't have that. They weren't going to call him Kevin because he was a killer. So Carrion right. is, I guess, I'm going to guarantee you, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure Kevin was involved in that name because sure. it was, Carrion means something that fits right. what his character is supposed to be. Right. You know? <clears throat> Um, you know how boring of a name is Keith Lee, but he was popular enough that they would right. be they were cool with him using that name. Right. But I guarantee you, if they signed him today, he wouldn't be. You know, what's wrong with Sefa Fatu? It, it's perfect name. It's part of the bloodline, but they still wanted to go and change it. You know, couldn't he be Sefa Uso? Since he's the brothers of Jimmy and Jay Uso, well, let me ask you. That's that's something that, and and I don't know, you know what, I mean, Sefa would be the one to to have that answer, but it was interesting that someone who is established in a family like that, where your guys are on the main stage on TV, and you bring them in. And essentially, the Solo Sokoa story had nothing to do with the Usos, but it seemed like because the fans were smart and they would give the Uso chance, that eventually the mask got peeled away and they were more comfortable saying that he was 
you know, their brother, is that because they might have protected the idea coming in for either A, him to make sure that he wasn't, you know, didn't have that pressure on him right away, or B, just in case, let's say it didn't work out with them and he, they had to, you know, let him go or he wasn't um, excelling, that this way it wouldn't tarnish the Uso brand that they built up. Is that something they have to think about when you have a very unique situation too, because this doesn't really come along often in pro wrestling? Well, I'm going to say it does, does happen because there's a lot of second and third, fourth generation wrestlers. We knew Braun Breaker was Rick Steiner's kid. They mentioned it. They put it on the website. Same thing with right. Sefa, you know, on the announcement. They they announced it. So it isn't being smart and going to the dirt sheets. If the average fan who goes to the WWE website would know that Solo Sokoa, who just signed, is Rikishi's son, the right. Hall of Famer. But they also like to differentiate it because, again, not everybody knows. So they want to make sure that if Braun Breaker, if Solo Sokoa, if The Rock's daughter get over, they're getting over because they're getting over, not right. just because of the fact that it's, you know, family oriented. You know, right. they did it in the past. Ted DiBiase Jr., you know, he got rocket ship. That guy didn't have the charisma of his dad's fingertip. And that's the reason why, but he also got put in a big situation. Cody Rhodes was the same thing. He was not like his dad. Cody right. Rhodes should have grown outside. If he was Cody Smith, he would have never been signed when he was by WWE. Right. If he was going to make it, it was going to take a long time. You know, there was a guy that we used many years ago and he was Jimmy Snooker Jr.'s. He was Jimmy Snooker Jr. He was right. Superfly's kid. And on the indies, working rushes, he would work around elsewhere. But he, locally, he trained when Rush had his school. And we started doing our own little thing when we brought in like Mike Knox and Knight Kirk and Ace Steel, named from the past. And, yeah. you know... Funny Bone and Derek Nykirk and, and, you know, this whole crew. And I brought up the idea of, hey, why don't you use Jimmy Snooker Jr.? And I thought he gave me the dumbest answer ever. Well, I want to prove that I can make it on my own. Well, how about you get in? Because you need to get in first. Right. And it doesn't matter whose kid you are. If you suck, they're going to get rid of you anyway. But right. Don't waste so much time because he was a long way in to when Deuce and Domino were running wild in OVW. And then they got pushed to the main roster and they let them be Deuce and Domino, but the shtick was totally different. You know, yeah. Domino was not cutting promos like Andrew Dice Clay that got him over in OVW. And that right. whole thing with... Deuce, Domino, Cherry, it was like the same thing with, you know, when it was the, with Eminem. They were so yeah. over, like, for some reason, the WWE has, okay, we need to change you. And those were a couple of the ones that got the opportunity to be the same. And right. I remember years later when uh, 
I guess it was the group that they were in. Was it Evolution? I'm not sure. But it was it was Cody Rhodes, Randy Orton, yeah. and and DiBiase. That and was, they went their ways. That it wasn't uh, Evolution. Or Orton wasn't in with them either, because Orton was part of Evolution. This was that Rhodes and DiBiase. And there was no Orton was with those two because I remember they were the tag champs and they would job out to John Cena, but Randy Orton would be able to hang. Hmm. So whatever that one was, but the bottom line was they got replaced DiBiase and Rhodes, whether they went somewhere, I I couldn't tell you what happened, but they brought in Jimmy Snuka Jr. For a brief time, as well as I'm not sure if it was Afa or Sika's kid. Right. That, that they became part of it, and Randy Orton ended up laying them both out. But it was like, wow, you sure took a long time to even, you know, if you're signing a guy, the That's idea right. is how do we get these guys over? And I remember it was Jericho, and he was doing like the uh, Roddy Piper type show, and right. he had Snooka on, and I'm like, why the fuck is not Snooker Jr. in the audience and then save his dad? And now you've inserted him into a, a high-profile role. Win or lose, it didn't matter. But now it's like, oh, shit, it's Jimmy Snooker Jr., which right. people would know was probably Deuce. But like that, they kept that a secret. They weren't like, hey, Deuce, that's, that's Jimmy Snooker's kid. Like they right. never let on in that situation. So it, it's kind of like polarizing on what they do it's the choices they make like that pushed ted dibiase jr down your throat as ted dibiase's kid or what they did with curtis axel as 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 mr perfect's kid but again he was another one man you want to talk about void of charisma but then when curtis axel did the hogan thing it got over got over big right so i guess he had personality but it was nothing the way his father was like to me, Mr. Perfect, all time. Great. One of my all time favorites, you know? Yeah. So, but those guys got that opportunity because of who they were and the longevity is based on where you're at. Look at Randy Orton today and look at Ted DiBiase Jr. Randy Orton got signed, you know, he's a troubled dude in the Marines or whatever, but he excelled. And became, you know, one of the biggest superstars in, in WWE history. And he was, you know, he he he's one of the few who far exceeded what his dad did in the business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ted DiBiase Jr. is doing the uh, Brett Favre thing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they'll be in the same cell together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, as we got into all that, the uh, the question is Matt Vandergrift going forward. What do you see him, uh, you know, looking like in twenty twenty three in terms of what he's accomplished so far and what you think is still needed for him to accomplish because of the fact that he's, you know, two years different of of a person than than he was uh, during the pandemic, let's say, uh, and the growth has been phenomenal. Where can you see him growing? What does he have to work on still? You know, I I always talk about the hunger, the hunger. You know, you saw it in in Kevin Cross. 
You saw it in Hammerstone. You saw it in Chris Bay. You saw it not as much because he wasn't around as much, but uh, an L.A. night Eli Drake. You know, you knew that what they were doing, as good as it may be, and they worked their ass off to be as good as they could in that position, that wasn't their end game. Right. And... You know, we saw it during the pandemic when, you know, Lacey would be down there six days a week. And with Tom around, like he knew getting to the WWE was a strong possibility, but she had to work her fucking ass off. She didn't coast. She wasn't like, well, Tom knows people, so I'll be able to go get on. No, she made herself in demand. Jay Vidal made himself in demand. You know, when he got those opportunities, he took advantage of it. A Matt Vandegrift will fly to Jacksonville to get on an AEW show, send emails. And being the No Limits champion, being a main guy in FSW, I'm pretty sure it means the world to Matt Vandegrift. But he wants to be the guy in WWE or AEW or Impact or New Japan, all these guys, you can't get here if you're happy here. If you're content here, you're not going to work your ass off because you can work your ass off and never get to that spot. Yeah. And it's not a fault of yours. You know, we have half a dozen guys that, you look at and can say, well, yeah, wow, he's better than that motherfucker in AEW. Holy shit, that guy got fucking signed? Right. But it's what they are looking for at that moment. You know, we would we would see people get signed in AEW when Lacey was around and like, fuck, she is way better than this girl. Yeah. And that girl gets signed and six months later she'd be gone and you never see or hear from her again or, or whatever. You know, we knew what Lacey was. We saw when she wrestled Jordan Grace on an impact taping that they were high enough on her. You know, from what I understand through D'Lo, that, of course, once WWE reached out, Impact reached out to Lacey. Well, you know, that was a little too late. Yeah. You know, the same thing could have happened with Chris Bay if WWE made, made that offer but they hadn't yet and chris was looking for what he wanted to do and then the next few years of wwe with nxt you know it just seemed like a dumpster fire so he was happy and content same thing with hammerstone and mlw where these guys make their own schedule they work for who they want to work they make good money when they work for that main company which keeps their name you know where it needs to be but they can go out and command and make a good living and not be under the thumb. And some people would rather make a good living and wrestle and be on as many shows as they can than be under the thumb. You know, everybody's different. You know, Brian Cage is a guy who, no matter how much money he was making, was disgusted because he couldn't be on AEW. Like, he felt he had a lot to offer. It's like, They went out of their way to sign him and then kind of stopped using him. And, you know, fortunately, he's he's come around the cycle again where he's being utilized and 
you know, they obviously have to think high enough of him because, you know, he's gotten to wrestle Samoa Joe and he got to wrestle Wardlow and, and they're using Brian Cage to make sure that there's good matches going on. Right. Well, you know, that's an interesting fact, too, is that, uh, you know, Brian, his option was exercised um, to, you know, his kind of surprise because they weren't using him. And now you're in a position where you you had him for, you know, let's say six months of that contract or so. Do you, as a, as an owner, do you utilize someone like that then in a position where he's a big enough guy, he's a big enough name, he's had enough exposure that you could use him to get the other guys over that you're intending to keep longer term or use more in stories and then eventually, you know, whittle it down so that by the time the contract's ending, you let him go. Is that something that might be a playbook for, you know, Tony Khan in terms of, uh, you know, how, how you utilize someone who looked like you were going to utilize him as a star, but in the end, it almost seemed like you exercised the option in their contract just to keep them around so they didn't go elsewhere. You know, that, that's been tried and true. WWE, a lot of times, extended yeah. people, Ring of Honor, paid people because they didn't want to lose them. And that was more of a WWE thing of keeping people away from AEW or keeping them away from WCW back in the day. Right. And, you know, I when you have that kind of money, I, I guess you can. But, sure. you know, when there was rumors of Brian Danielson and – he's going to leave when his contract expires. Then it became, Oh, well, you're cleared now, you know? So because he was going to leave two to two years prior. Right. And try to go to Japan and an AEW or whatever it was, they signed him up. He had his run again. And then what did he do? He, he ended up finally leaving because he did everything he felt he could do in WWE and he wanted that freedom to go out there. And if he can wrestle on New Japan, because we heard that's what WWE was offering the last time around. Like he could wrestle in on New Japan show. Or maybe that's why Nakamura signed, because he got to go back to Japan and he gets to wrestle the great Muda in his last match. Right. You know, with, with, with Triple H in charge, he understands maybe some of the newer nuances that Vince McMahon, you know, hardcore old school, you know, we're not even going to mention, you know, how great Macho Man Randy Savage was before he came to WWF or Ted DiBiase or Hacksaw Jim Duggan or Jake the Snake Roberts. You know, that's the difference. When they brought those guys in, they already had 10, 12, 15 years experience. Guys they bring in now, Roman Reigns didn't even wrestle on NXT. Right. You know, they brought him up through developmental and said, okay, we got this idea. We're going to do the shield thing and we're going to present them in a strong light, which was a very rare occurrence in WWE to take these young guys. And when they got in high profile matches, actually put them over. It was like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe it. 
And it's like, well, you know, you can't make new stars. Well, of course you can't make a new star. When, when you take the Miz, you made him a star, and then he gets squashed by John Cena, and he gets back to the bottom of the line, or Wade Barrett, and Nexus is running wild, and John Cena has to kill six guys in the Nexus. And Wade Barrett is, like, on the verge of being a star. All you have to do is give him that one big victory. When Bray Wyatt first came up and started feuding with Cena, he still had to lose the feud because it was John Cena. It wouldn't ever hurt John Cena. Maybe Bray Wyatt would have been a bigger star two years earlier if right. if WWE let it be. You know, you could sit there and watch, and it's like, you know, the one thing, you know, I always listen to what a Bischoff and a Vince Russo and a Cornette and all them have to say. You know, sometimes they're totally out of their mind, but a lot of times they make a lot of sense. And, you know, a fan who watches all the time, we see things. You know, yeah. we're watching. I'm watching as a fan. I'm not watching as, hey, I'm the FSW owner and booker. I I watch it as, hey, I'm a wrestling fan. Oh, right. we're, oh man, they're, they're turning Roman Reigns. Like, to me, that was money years ago. But yeah. when they finally pulled the trigger, they went all in on it. And you see when they go all in on something. When they go all in on something, it's like, wow, they, they, they are capable. Like, how great is the bloodline and Sami Zayn and all the stuff? And it's like, so Sami Zayn's like the most popular wrestler in wrestling now. And <laughs> Reigns reminds me of like with Cross when it'd be like, you know, I'm going to lock the door and beat the shit out of you. Where it's like, Syracuse, acknowledge me. And he's talking down to them like pieces of shit. And they're like, he's there. He's the God. He's the cult leader. Right. And, you know, and having Heyman in the mix has only made the Usos, like, now considered the greatest tag team ever. Are they? Yeah. Probably not. But they're in that position. And then Sefa comes in, and he immediately is a main event guy. Right. By just walking into a situation. Right. So, yeah. you know, it can be done. But then you look on the other end, it's like, oh, okay, well, Cross comes back. It looks like he's in line for this monster push. He's had two matches. He beat Madcap Moss and Drew Gulak. And other than the pay-per-views where he split with Drew McIntyre. So it's obviously they want Drew still as like the number one baby face on that, on that role. Right. But now my question is, where does Cross lie? Now they signed Bray Wyatt. And they signed Braun Strowman. And these guys have had experience on the top of the card. Right. And I haven't seen uh, Kevin in a while. Like, other than TikTok, like, man, I wouldn't put Cross in with Roman Reigns now. You, you, you've kind of dismantled right. him by having him lose. I don't care how he lost. It was like, I don't care how he won. It was like, he won. He beat Drew McIntyre. The fact that it was because of Scarlett... <coughs> means nothing in the future all right. they know is like oh shit this motherfucker beat drew mcintyre but then right. to come back and now lose to drew mcintyre yeah but they protected him nah, a loss is a loss because he didn't bounce back and murder three guys because wait they had braun Strowman doing that they had to bring him back because cross was in the spot so what did they with Strowman? they beat him up jobbers oh so they did the same thing they did with almost on raw till right. they wrestled each other and, you know, so there's so many guys in no man's land. So, yeah. it, 
you know, tiptoeing through, it's really difficult to, to get in a great spot. Um, do you think uh, with Sami Zayn's popularity and the potential of getting the belt off of Roman without actually Roman having to take a loss, that it would be practical that uh, there could be a three-way match in which whoever is that third person essentially, you know, <laughs> ends up uh, the one who takes the pin from Sammy, and maybe they put the title on Sammy for a little bit uh, while Roman's off TV, and that way you keep the championship in the bloodline. Is that something that they might toy with? Or would you even toy with that as a promoter? Uh, no, I wouldn't, you know, but we've been hearing for a year Roman Reigns is not going to be doing shows very much, but he seems to be doing shows. And yeah. he's doing more shows than Brock Lesnar did when Brock Lesnar was the champion. So right. I think if you're going to go all this way with Roman Reigns, to have him lose in a three-way where he's not pinned – I, I just think that would be poor execution. It's like it's he's done too much to now just give it away. He's held it for so long. Somebody's got to beat him. Because, you know, the rumor was, oh, they were going to split the titles. Well, right. how did they split the titles? Oh, right. Paul Heyman, Drew McIntyre is going to win at the Clash in the Castle. And Heyman's going to come out the next day. And state, well, that title was on the line, but the other one, the Universal, wasn't. But they've been advertising for a month before that show how the Universal, you know, collective title is being defended. Right. You right. know, but I thought if there was any shot in his home country, you know, that would be the way to do something. They did enough interference that if right. Reigns lost, it wouldn't have hurt him in any way. Right. But. Again, the plan supposedly was for Drew to win, but that was under the Vince McMahon regime. And I think Triple H, who's definitely, you know, a scholar of the business, saw the success of Roman Reigns and felt that it wasn't needed to take the belt off him. You know, yeah. that what's what's funny is when when they move the belts a lot, it's like, oh, it's blasphemy. You know, Ted DiBiase was never the champ, and Jake the Snake was never the champ. And they had six or seven guys that, when you look at the way today's championship reigns have been, like, wow. Like, Ted DiBiase didn't even let him hold the title when they did the thing with Andre. Like, right. how did you not let Ted DiBiase run as the heel champion for a little while. Right. Like why not make the overly popular macho man, Randy Savage beat DiBiase at the pinnacle instead of doing the tournament to eliminate Hulk Hogan. So he couldn't get pinned in Andre. And then, you know, good booking, I guess DiBiase got the buy into the finals and macho man and beat him. But, how great would that story have been if the macho man, as they said, the baby face made the chase, right? You know, I was at Madison square garden when 
the main event wasn't Hulk Hogan for the WWF title against Earthquake. It was a non-title match between the Honky Tonk Man Intercontinental Champion against the former champion, Randy Savage. That was the main event. The crowd went crazy because it was non-title and Savage would win. But right. it was like, imagine if he finally got the heavyweight championship against the biggest piece of shit heel in the history of wrestling. Like, they had their Ric Flair, WWF, with, with Ted DiBiase and right. chose never to do it and kept that belt on Hogan. And then when he did lose the belt, who did he lose it to? Well, at the time, arguably, a guy who was more popular than him in The Ultimate Warrior. Right. So, you know, back in those days and even to this day, you know, when we talk about Hammerstone, it's like there's a lot of good guys in that 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 could become the heavyweight champion, but a few of them are baby faces and as long as Hammerstone's been the champion to put the title on another baby face, like Matt Vandegrift, yeah, it was a great story, but didn't right. feel the time was right. <coughs> it's like you want, after so many years, there to be a champion that you want to see get beat. Well, yeah. if Vandergriff beats Hammerstone, half the crowd's happy, half the crowd's not happy. They're both baby faces. It's cool. But I would rather have the, the dastardly heel be the one to, to beat the, you know, over baby face in that yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, so as we, uh, kind of look here at the time where we kind of get ready to kind of wrap a little bit, um, you know, you got the show coming up here again, Saturday night, um, 7 PM start time, correct? 6 PM, 6 PM, 6 PM, 6 PM. You gotta, you gotta confuse people, you know, 7 PM, you know, the, uh, silver nuggets, 5 PM future shock is 6 PM. High octane seven p.m. <laughs> New Year's is nine thirty p.m. You know that way there's mass confusion. <laughs> I thought you know six p.m. because Future Shock's using the younger guys and they got the curfew at bedtime. Yeah, <laughs> you know Bodie's got to be in bed by nine thirty. You know. <laughs> uh, when you uh, when you look at uh, again the network, uh, you can catch uh, Future Shock if you're not in town or if you can't make it out. Uh, Actually, but... uh, we will not be airing it live. Oh, there we go. Okay, uh, Spider's unavailable. Uh, Joey's going to Iowa to the Revolver show. That's right. So we are going to film it and try to get it up as quick as possible. The latest would be the Friday after, but we're going to see if we can get it up earlier. So. As of now, I'm under the impression we're not. You know, I've told there were some people right. who could do the editing. Like, we, we we can edit it live, but I'm not sure I want somebody who's never done it before live streaming to, you know, we've, we've had enough issues with Cox Cable right. and airing stuff to have somebody who doesn't know the system come in because Spider taught him for 45 minutes on Wednesday. <laughs> Uh, and Joey going to out there, uh, is it true that he's uh, on a mission to uh, get Moxley to uh, come back to FSW? Is that what I'm hearing? 
No, I heard the rumor was he was going to Revolver. He was going to be my muscle to collect the money from Sammy Callahan from uh, the Full Tilt Weekend. <laughs> Still working on the numbers there. It's only been eight months. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Is it? Uh like a political uh, a vote count now where uh the numbers are still being tallied yeah yeah it's still being tallied very busy <laughs> you know impact impact does run you know once a month so you know and, and revolver runs once a month so you know those are four days out of the schedule and those other 26 boy he is one busy motherfucker oh you know he's he's always in the gym look at him that's that's no doubt <laughs> You know, he even calls himself the Penguin, so. <laughs> um, what are you looking forward to uh, seeing uh, Future Shock accomplish uh, this weekend? Is there uh, is there anyone in particular that you're looking forward to kind of seeing uh, how they perform, uh, including the, uh, the new people you haven't seen before? Well, uh, one for sure is Andy Delgado. Here's a guy who was promising, went to China, disappeared, came back. We had him in a four-way disappointing performance, in in my opinion. I guess he collided heads, and maybe that's the reason. But the weird thing is we've been talking about matches, and Bugatti mentioned him, so uh, we're going to give him that match. But when we were going to do it before we got canceled, Jacob Austin Young wanted to work him. So some of our main guys – seem to be really eager in working him, which makes me believe that they feel even Matt Vandergriff, you know, when he's trained with them. So, oh, we'd have, we'd have a, we'd have a stiff match, man. Look forward to it. So now he's going to get that opportunity. No excuses. One-on-one, you know, go out there. You know, I I didn't put him on a show after that because of that situation, because he didn't get the job done. That that's what future shocks about. So if I have to choose one over the other, you know, and circumstances are different, you know, again, Oliver Kennedy, you know, he's had some good performances, but he's also been placed with guys that know how to work. You know, he got to wrestle Gregory Sharp. He got to wrestle Sin Bodie. So he's getting to work Ricky Tenacious, who made Tanaya look like a superstar, you know, Ricky you know, knows how to work, you know, despite this is despite his annoyance when he touches a microphone. So, you know, let's see this guy. He's a guy we're bringing along very slowly, but giving him good opportunities when he gets it. And, you know, for every young wrestler, it's probably more important and a lot easier to just get a simple one-on-one match. And when you're going to wrestle, you know, the cream of the crop, you know, you might have some lapses, you might fuck up here and there, but those guys are going to bring it together. So all you have to do is kind of hold up your end of the bargain when it's in a three way and a four way. And, you know, he was in a four way and he was in with, with, with on hell celestial who has experience in Mexico, but not really here. And, you know, he, he's mixed in with him. And I think it was uh, Ricky Gomez used yeah. to be in the tag team with the Suavecitos. So those guys have enough to think about in their own minds about 
getting the best match for themselves, not right. concentrating on making sure that person succeeds. And that's why it's easier when it's a Sharp and a Sin Bodhi and a Ricky Tenacious and a Jacob Austin Young uh, to be in that position. Uh, right. You know, same thing. Uh, Demir Morningstar, you know, young kid, Kenny King, very high on him. Chris Bay, high on him. He had an opportunity and he got to wrestle a one-on-one -on -one match with Gregory Sharp. And it seemed like the spotlight was a little too much for him because he did far less than I would have hoped for in the match. Sure. And now he's going up against a guy who's experienced, not super experienced, not like he's got, you know, 15 years in the business, but he's going to wrestle Fresco. But Fresco, yeah. you know, understands the heel mentality. He understands how to work. So let's see what Demir can do. You know, I'm expecting Primo Henio to knock it out of the park against Damian Drake. He's getting a great opportunity. People say great things about him. Well, right. he's getting to work one of our best guys. So if he goes out and shits the bed, well, they, they, there's no excuses for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. sometimes people aren't as good as as presented. You know, we had a young guy a few years ago from Arizona come in with a lot of hype. And it was like, yeah, you know, he's okay. He's got a long way to go. It was like Shogun at this point who's had less experience is way better than him. And the guy is Watson, who the potential was there. It just took him time to get there. Because in Arizona, there wasn't as much talent for him to get better against. Right. Un unfortunately, he was wrestling guys his equal or lesser. So right. he couldn't step up. You know, he, he can only wrestle Hammerstone and Graves so many times out there. Right. So, you know, Watson has turned into what people said he would be, but because he had to work hard, it, it took him longer in FSW world. You know, in Arizona, right. he was the Arizona wrestling champion and he was this and all that stuff but you know it's the same thing here when you get an Alexander who's winning belts everywhere hey you know what about Alexander for this belt and it's like and he's still got a ways to go there there Gregory Sharp took 10 years to win a title bro yeah you know Jacob Austin Young you know that no limits division is fucking stacked yeah yeah it's uh it's exciting and uh again it's uh 6 p.m. this Saturday, December 3rd at the FSW Arena. Uh, you know, come on down if you can make it. And uh, again, if you get the FSW Network, it won't be uh, broadcast live, but you'll be able to see it probably within the, the week or so, hopefully. And Yeah, within the week because the week after season's beatings, and that's going to air live. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's on the 17th. Uh, uh, so, you know, if you, uh, haven't made plans yet for the 17th, uh, that one's going to be a pretty good show and, uh, give uh a that, that show's loaded. We got the FSW yep. heavyweight champion going to be there. The tag champs are going to be there. The no limits champions. I Greg Sharp's going to be there too, right? Uh, we've been working on it. We're actually talking about a monster main event that may not even be the main event. <laughs> okay so you know what for those who listen you get the benefit of these situations so right now i am working on a title versus title matchup between matt vandegriff and gregory sharp <laughs> okay so 
<laughs> yeah. Now, Hammerstone still has to wrestle on the show. TBD is right. going to wrestle on the show. Uh, Danny Limelight, he's right. the number one contender. So I'm pretty sure he could care less who's winning. You know, we already have Limelight penciled in for his match at No Escape. So whoever the No Limits champion is at that point. So, you know, I, I'm excited, man. It's the best of the best in, in FSW. This is going to be the biggest card at the FSW arena in a very long time. Uh, tickets for High Octane are always 30 and 25. But we also, because it's season's meetings, we like to do a toy drive. So we give $5 off for a new unwrapped toy. And we get, give you the option of bringing up to two. So you could be paying 20 bucks for front row or just $10 for GA for conceivably a casino show. Yeah. At yeah. the FSW arena. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, they're, you and know, you're doing something good for charity too. So. Right. Yeah. So, you know we haven't even talked about is, is Graves going to be there? Is Remy going to be there? Is Jacob Austin Young going to be there? Is Cody going to be there? Is Brett the Threat going to be there? Is Xander Bugatti? You know, they got unfinished business. Yeah. I also do know that we are going to have a six-woman tag match that's already set, where Viva Van will be on one side and Maserati will be on the other. And they are going to recruit some people. So that's going to be a very big match on the show. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good stuff coming up. And, you know, and then that also leads into two weeks later. New Year's Eve. To New Year's Eve. Yeah. Where Which we got some crazy. big commitments. Yeah. So, I mean, things are definitely happening. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a good time to uh, check out. I say some of the guys, if you haven't been to a FSW show in a while, or you haven't had, uh, you know, a chance to see uh, a guy like uh, Danny, Danny Limelight in an FSW arena, man, that's a little bit closer. You know, it's a, it's a little cooler to see some of these guys really up close and personal and hell, you never know. You might get hit by Nick Sander. So you never know. You got that going for you. <laughs> You know, you might earn yourself free tickets for a year instead of suing. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and the only, I guess, the only thing in return that wrestlers can say is they got Garth. So, yes, I think he gives the fifty dollar bonus at the end of the year. I think right. uh, Bodie was able to buy books for the new school year because his cheap mom didn't want to buy them for him. You know. <laughs> Uh, someone needs to talk to his uh, his mom's boyfriend about that. Yeah, <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! All right, everyone, thank you for tuning in this week, and until next week, everyone, take care.